Our passage this morning is from Matthew 19, 16 to 22. Please turn there in your Bible and follow along as I read. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the rack of the chair underneath you. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, worship team. My name is Ransom Kent. I'm the pastor here at Grace, and I'm so thankful that you all have joined us this morning, either in person or online. Allow me to start this sermon with a prayer. Father in heaven, I invite your spirit to be here among us. It already is here, Father. I pray that it would seep into our hearts, that we would be convicted, that we would be encouraged, that our ears would be opened, that our hearts would be opened. I pray, Father, that we would respond to your word this morning as a congregation and as individuals. I pray that the story of this rich young man would uh, impact us this morning. Thank you for the privilege being a part of this church, thank you for allowing us to gather here and sing and pray and to hear your word preached. I pray all of these, these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a short conversation, uh, but it's a complex story, all right? So uh, I'll admit, when I started studying this week, I think I, I thought, oh, I've got this down, but I learned so much. Uh, first of all, let me just say a few things. In our modern culture, when we hear someone asking questions and giving answers, we generally think that when a question's asked, a complete answer is given just after. Uh, And so what we we need to avoid this morning is looking at this conversation like that. This is not a Q&A. This is not some kind of interview on a news station. No, this is a, a complete conversation. And so what we really need to do is need to look at the whole conversation to make sure we understand exactly what's happening here. So, um, let's start by talking about this new character that's been introduced, the rich young man. Uh, back when I was teaching middle school years and years ago, I was, trying to, I was teaching this passage to them, and I was trying to connect with the youth, and uh, I decided to say, you know what, the rich young man was like Justin Bieber, and so you would have thought he was in the room. They went bananas that I just said his name, and it took me about five minutes to get the room back to settled, so I won't do that this morning. Uh, John Tyler, calm down. I know you're a believer, but, um, but listen, this, to get you to where this man is, he thinks a lot like a modern person. He thinks a lot like we do. Um, he uh, is a wealthy, well-respected, likely well-educated man. That's who we're talking about. 
And so he is someone that as he approached, we'll see later the disciples are like, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's got it all going on. However, as, again, as I was reading this passage, I found that I gave him the benefit of the doubt. My first couple readings through, I thought, oh, this is a guy who's just looking for eternal life. This guy's just looking for eternal life. But after studying this week, I'm not so sure we should give him the benefit of the doubt. This is a man who is trying to perform, as one scholar put it, ethical gymnastics. He's trying to contort his way to salvation. And what happens is he asks a misguided question at the very beginning. And again, it, what tumbles out of it is this complex conversation. We learn that he has issues with his views on salvation. We learn that he has issues with his views of his own personal sinfulness. And in the end, his reaction to the, the answer that Jesus gives re- reveals his true hopes and intentions. So that's our outline this morning, we're going to look at the errors that he makes in this conversation. The errors of the rich young ruler. Rich young, rich young, rich young man. I can do it. Let's look at the first error that he makes. And it's in, it's, the error is evident in his inquiry. So look at verse 16. <clears throat> Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Is his question. What is he asking? What's his error? He believes that salvation is earned by human accomplishment. You see the error? He believes that he can do not just some things, but one thing. Singular, good deed, and that will earn him salvation, earn him eternal life. What's he looking for? He's actually looking for secret knowledge. Okay, he's looking for to, to be a cut above. I call this junior varsity versus varsity thinking. He, 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 he thinks that every, if everyone else is here, I want to be here. I want to know the thing that no one else knows. I want to do the thing that no one else does. I want to be a cut above. He believes he can accomplish his own salvation and possess it. Really, this question is an insult to the character of God. Think about this. What is he really saying? What's he really asking? He's asking, what isn't God telling us? (laughs) What hasn't God told us so far? I want to know and I want to do it so I can be where I need to be, where I want to be. Jesus begins the correction in the beginning of verse 17. And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Do Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's a sly guy. Jesus is, sh- is shifting the conversation. The rich young ruler is saying, what must I do? And he's saying, why do you ask me about good things to do? Let's talk about the one who is good. The one who is good. Jesus is t- taking the conversation from deeds we do to talk about God himself, the source of goodness. So I think, as I was trying to think the best way for us to, to, to learn for ourselves from the errors of the rich young man, I think we have to go to organized biblical truth to do so. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at his errors, then we're going to jump to systematic theology. That's a big word for what does the Bible say about this? And so what is Jesus referring to when he moves the conversation from deeds to God? He's talking about, first of all, creation. He's talking about God and creation. This, this, this idea that Jesus says, let's not talk about deeds, let's talk about God, points to the fact that God created 
everything in the universe. Created everything in the universe. And for what purpose? For his own glory. And at the center of that creation is what? Humankind, male and female, he made them. They're at the center of his glorious creation. And the reason he created them was to dwell in that glorious creation and to glorify him for it. That's the reason that we were created. And so, the longing of our hearts, every human being's heart, the longing of our hearts for satisfaction, for comfort, for fulfillment, is actually a longing to be back where we were created to be with God. It's a longing for God. It's what it is. I love the illustration. I think it's from Tim Keller. I'm sure many have used it before. Maybe Prodigal God. But the idea that those of us who have this longing to go home, where we grew up, we think, oh, I'd love to go home. But when we get there, it's not quite as satisfying as we imagined. Why is that? Because really our hearts aren't longing for this home. They're longing for the better home with God. And so the things we long for in this life, we can't find here. We can't find satisfaction and comfort and fulfillment in this life. Why? Because those things are found in God. They are God. And so that's the madness of chasing after the next thing because we can never have that next thing that's going to complete us. We'll never have it. Well, why not, Ransom? We keep going with systematic theology. We look then at creation. Okay, God created everything. He put us in it. It's for his glory. We're to worship him. What happened? It's called the fall, not the season, right? Not the autumn, but the fall where we were created to be here with God and something happened that separated us from him. Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned. What did they do? They chose to worship themselves rather than God. Think about this. They chose to believe their questions over God's answers. They chose to believe their questions. Well, what did God say? Is this, ha- is this true? What about this? Instead of hearing what God had to say and believing it. And so the reason we can't have this satisfaction that we're searching for is because every human being since Adam and Eve has been tainted with the same problem. The problem is the rift, the separation that is created by sin. All sin separates us from God. All sin is in itself a rejection of God. That's what it is. When we sin, what is it? God, I know the way. God, I'd rather do something else. Rejection of God. And so naturally, on our own, we reject God. We can't find our way back. So let's go back to the rich young ruler, all right? Back to the story. The conclusion of what we just talked about is not one single human can accomplish enough to heal the rift that was created. And so the rich young ruler asks, hey, what's the one thing I can do to solve my biggest problem? to solve my separation from God. And the answer that Jesus gives him is, it's not about doing, it's about God. That's the first answer he gets. It's not about doing, it's about God. How did the rich young ruler get to this place that he thought he could do something, one thing that would give him possession of eternal life? It moves us to the second error. The second error that he has is he clearly misunderstands his own sin. The rich young ruler does not understand the depths, the seriousness of his sin. Now, before we get there, Jesus, the next phrase that Jesus 
uh, or says is going to start a new conversation. He's moving the rich young ruler along an, a thought idea, a thought line. <clears throat> and so here's where we're going we're to talk about a couple things before we get there. So when it comes to salvation, hear me out, there are two ways to be saved. Don't run me out of the church yet. Let's, hear me out, okay? There are two ways to undo this separation from God. The first way, way number one, is absolute moral perfection. Absolute moral perfection. So think about this. We tend to think, <clears throat> as we're thinking about ourselves, and a lot of, almost every other world religion has this idea, is that God deals with us on a scale, okay? He's got this scale, and oh, Brian did something bad. I'll put it on the bad side. Well, that was pretty good. And what happens is we think, God's going to go at the end and say, okay, you know what? You're just better. Nice. But here's the deal. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's not a measurement of good and bad. It's all or nothing. Listen to the brother, the brother of Jesus, James. <clears throat> Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. You see, there's no scale. It is all or nothing. John Piper says, a single sin against an infinite God is what? An infinite sin. One sin ruins everything. To make sure we're being fair to the rich young ruler, let's go to the Old Testament. Isaiah 64 says this. We sang it this morning. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, all our good deeds, are what? Like a polluted garment. And what's the result of that? We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. We understand now what, what Paul was talking about in Romans 3.23, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's talk about way number one <clears throat> while I get a drink of water. Paul and season's here. Moral perfection. That ship has sailed, folks. That is not an option for me. It's not an option for you. It's not. We, we, this, this, there's no such thing as good enough salvation. That's not a thing. There's no such thing as good enough. I'll be, I'm good enough. God, if I'm sincere, God will accept me. It doesn't exist. All or nothing. Which leads us to say, I mean, there's got to be a different way, and there is. There's a second way. Thank the Lord, there is a second way. But I'm going to leave you hanging. We're going back to the story for a moment. Let's discover with the rich young ruler what the second way is. So Jesus, again, he's guiding this conversation. Look at the second part of verse 17. If you would enter life, he says to the rich young ruler, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Let's just understand who Jesus is for a moment and what he's doing. Jesus is not simply a teacher. He's not just a dude who knows lots. He is looking into the soul of the rich young ruler, and he knows what the rich young ruler needs. And so what does he need? He needs to be taught. And so what does he say? If you want to know what you have to do to enter eternal life, do you hear it? If you want to know what you have to do to enter eternal life, God's already told you, Obey his commandments, all of them, all the way. That's what this phrase means. Keep the commandments. There's no qualification. Keep them all. Keep them all the way. Let's play a quick game. I play this game sometimes when I'm in public and I'm thinking about saying something 
and I have to like weigh it through. It's called appropriate or inappropriate. You should try it sometime. Okay, appropriate or inappropriate. A teacher of the law, let's just go from the, the rich young ruler's perspective. A teacher of the law just told you, for you to go to heaven, you must obey every single commandment all the way. Let's go into our minds and play appropriate, inappropriate. What's an appropriate response to that idea? Knowing what you know about yourself, knowing what you know about your daily life and the things you do and the things you think, what's an appropriate response? Uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. This is not good. Keep all of them? Let's see if the rich young ruler played this game. Verse 18, he said unto him, which ones? He did not. He did not play the game. Maybe he did, and he's just, he's skewed. His, his appropriate, inappropriate scale is skewed. I mean, listen, first of all, this is where we should stop feeling bad for him. Do you see the arrogance of this question? Which ones? Which ones? Which ones specifically, teacher? I bet I've obeyed them. Think back to the confession of sin. That's why I picked that for this week. This is the same mentality as the man who's praying, oh, Lord, look at what I do. Thank you that I'm not like that man because I have done all the right things. This is measurable piety. We've been talking about rearing its ugly head. Which ones? Which ones? If I haven't done them, I'll do them. I can get there on my own. What would have been the appropriate response, the tax collector's response? Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the appropriate response. And Jesus corrects his error. I'm not going to say, I don't want to say that Jesus laid a trap, but Jesus laid a trap. You ready for this? Okay. 18 and 19, the second part of 18 and the first part of 19. Which ones, he says. And Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where do the, interact with me. Where do those commandments come from? Ten commandments. Are they all there? No. No. So again, if we're looking at this like a Q&A, we're like, oh yeah, sure. And that's what the rich young ruler does. What does he say? He says, all these I have kept. But let's talk about why Jesus omitted some things. First of all, he didn't just omit, there's two tables of the law. He didn't just omit the whole first table. The first table of the law concerns our interaction with God, vertical. The second table of the law concerns our interactions with one another. He didn't just omit the whole first table. He omitted one from the second table, covetousness. So Jesus is, is very on purpose. It's, it's glaringly on purpose, omitting certain commandments from his list. By not naming these sins, what Jesus is doing, and we'll see it, he's pointing out the very sins that this man is bound to, that have him in bondage. And so, again, trying to perform his ethical gymnastics, the, the rich young man sprains his ankle. Rather than admitting his condemnation, okay? Rather than, than admitting his condemnation, what does he do? He responds with confirmation. Oh yeah, all right, I'm in. All these I have kept, what do I still lack? What do I still lack? We have to know, we have to assume that this man knows the Ten Commandments. If, if he's doing the simple brain work we're doing, oh wait, he's not, that's not all the Ten Commandments, but what he's thinking is, if that's it, if I don't have to worry about those other ones, I'm good to go. 
And in his attempt to gain his own salvation, he muddies the clear waters of Scripture. What is his misunderstanding? What is his misunderstanding? Let's go back to the fall for a moment. <clears throat> all of mankind is sinful. All or nothing, remember? All or nothing. We're all tainted with sin. Therefore, we can't save ourselves. This is a review. So now we, this points us to way number two. If we understand that, we, we know we can't accomplish salvation this way. We must look for something else. And that's where redemption comes in. Redemption. You see, it's always been in God's hands, our souls being saved. Salvation has always belonged to God. He's always had to make a way because in his perfect goodness and in the face of our sinfulness, we are left with nothing but God's mercy. That's all we have. And when we misunderstand the seriousness of our sin, like the rich young man, we reject the guilt of our souls before God. It's not something we have to deal with. You see what the rich young man's doing? He's saying, I can be good enough. I'm not guilty. I've done pretty well, Lord, don't you think so? And if we reject the guilt of our souls, we reject the mercy of God, we don't need it. We're not needy for it. I've been reading Psalm 107 a lot in this time of my ministry. <clears throat> we did that for our call to worship or parts of it. In Psalm 107.41, it says this about God. He raises the needy out of affliction. And like Jason pointed out, that, that psalm is a series of events where people are uh, believing in themselves or trusting in the wrong thing, and God brings them low to understand their neediness, and they call out to God. In his own mind, the rich young man is not needy. He's not needy. He doesn't need God. He just needs that one more thing to do. He views his goodness like he views his money. It's something he accomplishes, that he possesses, that he piles up for himself, and God ought to be impressed with that. That's his mentality. And so what is the truth that we must remember, church? Every one of our sins disqualifies us. We're disqualified. We are disqualified. Our sin is serious. It's not something we can handle on our own. So the rich young man, he misunderstands where salvation comes from. He misunderstands grossly his own sin. And in turn, he makes his final error, which is actually his first error. What's his third error? He misunderstands who Jesus is. He misunderstands who Jesus is. Finally, in verse 21, Jesus gives him a straight answer, okay? Verse 21, the first part. If you would be perfect, go. Think, look at all the commands. Go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. This phrase, if you would be perfect, should give us a memory back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember, perfection is not something we can attain. It's something we pursue through following Christ. That's why measurable piety is not good. It gives us an upper threshold. Oh, I'm good enough. No, follow Christ. Keep letting yourself be changed. Keep being convicted of your sin. Follow Christ. 
The only way to pursue perfection is to follow Christ and obey him. And so this, that, in, in Matthew 5, is a call to our sanctification through discipleship where we engage the work of the Spirit in us in order to become more like Christ on purpose. That's what that is a call to in the Sermon on the Mount. And spoiler alert, this is exactly what he's calling the rich young man to do. Follow me. Follow me. Pursue perfection. If we look at what he commands him to do, this is a stabbing diagnosis of the rich young man's sins. Again, Jesus isn't just dealing with words. He has actually reached into the soul of this man and he pulls out his sin and he's showing it to him. You see that? Jesus diagnosed him perfectly. He's saying to the rich young man, you hold allegiance to money over God and you are are someone who struggles with covetous idolatry. It's what he's saying to the rich young man. Says it to his face. Sell everything you have and come follow me. Side note, those of you sweating right now, this is not a call for us to live in poverty. Um, start sweating again because it's much harder than that. Okay, it's much harder than that. This is a call for us to purge our lives of anything that remotely whiffs of idolatry. We all worship different things. We're not all the rich young man, and we all have things that we're like, oh man, if I had to do that to follow Jesus, I'm not sure. Jesus is saying, get rid of it. Follow me. The first table of the law demands exclusive loyalty to God. And what Jesus is saying to the rich young man, he's actually, he's actually taken the first table out and said, follow me. This is the new first table. Follow Christ. Exclusive loyalty to me. The irony is the rich young man came to Jesus to seek an answer from Christ, and the answer was literally staring him in the face the whole time. Give me an answer when Jesus says, I'm the answer. There's a reaction to that. So what can we learn from the rich young man? What can we learn from the things we've talked about? Listen, here's what we can learn. Salvation can only come from God, and it can only be found by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the message that Jesus is teaching the rich young man. You can't earn your way. You can't do enough. And so therefore, follow me. I am the way, is what Jesus is saying. But how exactly? How is Jesus the way? It's important to talk about this. How, so we understand, okay, we can't be perfect enough, right? So we need this other way, and God has made a way, but how? How through Jesus can we be saved? Again, Jesus here is substituting the whole first table of the Ten Commandments by saying, you come with me, follow me, exclusive loyalty to me, follow Christ, I am the way. In John 3.16 as Jesus talks to a person who's similar to the rich young man, Nicodemus, but Nicodemus has a different attitude. He says this to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that God gave, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. The very thing the rich young man says he desires. So where does that come from? It comes from believing that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he came to live a life perfectly. He did it. He did the thing we cannot do. And then, much to our sorrow, much to our shame, he took our punishment for all of our sins. He faced the wrath of God. 
He did that for us. He was nailed to a cross for me, for you, because we couldn't do it. But that's not the end of the story. Praise the name of the Lord. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and that's where he advocates for his people. And so when we believe that those things are true, we find God. John 14, just before his crucifixion, Jesus says this to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see what he's asking the rich young man to do? Come to the Father with me. I'll show you the way. Sometime later, Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised. He's ascended. Peter, we've heard a lot about Peter the last few weeks. Standing in front of a tribunal who's accusing him of spreading a false religion, he says this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. <clears throat> For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One name. See how it all fits together? Salvation's only found in God. We can't do anything about it because we're broken, sinful, corrupt, disqualified people. And so Jesus came from God. He is God to make it right. He's the only way it can be made right. Here's the bottom line. The Apostle John, and this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's very simple. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. That's the message to the rich young man. You want life? Come with me. Let's turn to verse 22. It's a tragedy. We tend, again, when we read Scripture, it's flat to us because we know the whole story, but let 22 sting a little bit. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's heavy. Now, that's reality as well. Church, upon realizing that he could not earn his own salvation, think about this. Think about the ramifications of what we just read. Upon learning that he, there was nothing he could do to earn his salvation, upon learning that, that it was unattainable without Jesus Christ, he walked away from salvation. The answer wasn't, you can't be saved. The answer was, follow me. And he said, I'm good. It's too hard. It's too much. He chose damnation. He chose it. In church, this points us to the fact that the Holy Spirit is central to salvation and discipleship. It's what it does. We have to remember that with our prayer for our lost friends and our loved ones is essential. Why? Because if God is not changing hearts, no one will turn to him. This is what it looks like. All of the facts are there. All of the things are clear. And he says, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. In fact, when this man walks away, the disciples, their minds are blown. They're astonished. He's wealthy. He's well-known. He's well-educated. What is going on? And they're scared. They're like, who can be saved? And here's Jesus' response. Speaking of salvation, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Jesus isn't talking about CrossFit in this verse. 
He's talking about salvation. Salvation. With man, this is impossible. We can't do it. But with God, what? Praise the Lord. All things are possible. Salvation comes from God alone and is found only in Jesus Christ through faith. Church, listen. The last few weeks have been intense. They have been for me, studying these passages. In the following verses, even still, Jesus goes over once again with his disciples the cost-benefit analysis of discipleship. They're, they're saying, look how much we've given up, Lord. And he's saying, listen, whatever you give up, more than enough will be compensated to you by simply following me. The gain of discipleship is always worth the things we lose because of it. But church, Jesus isn't pulling any punches with us. He's not pulling punches with me. He's not pulling punches with you. He's coming for our love for the world. He's not satisfied with it. He's not satisfied with it. Oh, you know what? That's okay. No, he's not. He wants exclusive loyalty. That's what it's about. And oftentimes I feel like I don't know how to do that. I mean, the scripture's clear, but I just, I don't know what to do. So here's my call to us together. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want my whole life to be oriented towards Christ. I want that. Sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes I don't know what to do, but that, that is what I want. And I know this is going to take my whole life, and I won't even reach that. And I know that as we come into this, was March, almost March tomorrow, so we're 22 days from one year of, of, of craziness, right? Some of us feel worn down. Some of us feel strung out. Some of us feel numb. But here's what I want you, I want you to hear this. This is for me too. We need the word. We need Jesus. We need to follow Christ. That's what we need. That's what we need. And I know that it's hard to think about doing something else. And here's what I want to say. This is the answer. It's not just something else we do. It's the answer. Following Christ is the wellspring of life. And so, listen, there's lots of ways to do this. And if, if you feel like ransom, I want to do it on purpose, talk to me. Talk to your pastor. Talk to any of your elders. We can, this is why we're together, to walk towards Christ as a family church. You're not in this alone. Salvation can only come from God. It can only be found by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we have to admit, in more ways than one, I'm sure we all see ourselves in the rich young man. We see ourselves. Far too often we doubt who you are. We doubt the seriousness of our sins, oh, it's not that bad. We doubt the ultimate truth that salvation can only come from one place, and that's you. We believe in this cosmic scale of good and bad, and we justify ourselves thinking, well, that's not as bad as the thing I did the other day, or I'm not as bad as that person. Forgive us of all of that. There's a fine line here, Lord, between legalism and following Christ and obeying Christ 
out of the grace that he has showed us. And I pray, I believe the Holy Spirit can guide us there, that we believe it, that we live it, that those who are in this church, Christians that we know, that we love, would live the discipleship that you describe. Take back our allegiance. Take back my allegiance, Lord. That's a hard prayer to pray, a dangerous one, but I pray it for us. I pray for anyone listening who does not know you, that they would not walk away this morning simply because they can't earn their salvation themselves, simply because they have to follow Christ. May they see the beauty of that. May they see the generosity in that. May they see the grace in that. And may they follow Christ. Lord, bring us deeply into the Lord's Supper. We're about to partake in, and I pray that you would bless us and nourish us in our very souls. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.